Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Are you ready to study the Word of God, yes or no? The level of your surrender will determine the greatness of your life. That's what we've been talking about. We're in this series, Surrender. The level of your surrender will determine the greatness of your life. Now, if you've already taken a peek at your sermon notes, which you can pull those out, you note that today we're actually talking about money. We're actually talking about money. And I'm going to ask you a question. Have you surrendered that area of your life to the Lord? Let me ask it another way. Is God the CFO of your, of your life? Is he the chief financial officer of your life? Have you embraced God's design of money management? And, and I know this is, so, this is so unique, everybody, when you're a pastor and you preach about the love of God or the grace of God or the mercy of God or the healing power of God. There's all these people that come up and say, Pastor, that was so powerful. That was so, that was so anointed, Pastor. That was so great. And then you talk about money as if the God's anointing isn't on the subject matter of money and money management and actually generosity. And can I tell you something? That God's anointing is just as much on this sermon topic as, he, as it is on any other sermon topic because the Bible talks about money and provision and, and God being our provider and how to manage the resources he gives us over and over and over and over again. Jesus talked about it a lot. The apostles talked about it a lot. And it, listen, everybody, if it's in the Bible, how many know we've got to talk about it too? In fact, every Every single day of your life, you're making financial decisions. Every single day of your life. There, there's rarely a day that goes by, unless you just have a pajama day. There's rarely a day that goes by. Anybody else have pajama days in your world? Aren't they great? God invented pajama days. I'm telling you, his blessing is on pajama days. And so, but, but every other day in your life besides pajama day, you're making, you're making financial decisions. It's a very important aspect of your life. It really is. And today, I'm going to teach you the Word of God. And if you're saying, oh, no, he's going to take up a special offering at the end of this. No, I'm not. The offering has already been taken. All right? So we're not going to ask anything from you. In fact, this is not for, certainly not for my benefit. It's not for the benefit of New Song. This is actually for your benefit. And even when it comes to money management, that your level of surrender will determine the greatness of your life. Your level of surrender will determine the greatness of of your life. I'm going to prove that to you today in scripture. The Bible has a lot to say about money. And um, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 is where we're going to start. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We will be content with that. How many know that, that today's younger generation, that your children need to know they got to be content with that? How many know you got to teach that to some children these days for sure? That, hey, we're content with the, the blessings of the Lord upon our life. Verse 9, those who want to get rich, you might want to underline that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, and again, you might want to underline this, eager for money, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So those who desire to get rich, they long for money. Those who are eager for money... There is this temptation to live a life that God did not design for you. When you focus your life on money, on wealth, then the temptation will be there for you to live a life that God did not design for you. That when you're, when you're bent on making money, it's very difficult to surrender to God. In fact, it's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to, to, anybody know that verse? 
to enter into the kingdom of God, to go into heaven. That, 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 this topic is all throughout scripture. And if you are bent on making money and making wealth, can I tell you, it's very difficult to live a life of surrender. And yet, God is not against wealth. He's not against you having money. He is against you mismanaging the resources that he gives in your life. I have met billionaires that have funded ministries, and they would tell you, my purpose in life is to make money, but not for me. The purpose of my life is to make money. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to make money, but I make money in order to give it away. You know, my, my wife and I, we just, uh, as you guys know, last week we, we uh, went to Baton Rouge and we were down there at a little round table with uh, some of the greatest leaders in our nation. And, and the, the place that we met was Highlands uh, College, the campus there. They also have Grandview Campus, one of their campus locations at Church of the Highlands. And, and up on top of a hill, there is, I don't know, seven, eight, nine story building being built, and it's a dormitory, it's, it's dorms that, that is b- being built for Highlands College, where it may be the school that my, my daughter Grace goes to, the college that my daughter Grace goes to, and it looks like a Best Western, it looks like a, a Holiday Inn Express, it looks like a multi-story hotel, that's what it looks like, and that, col- or that dorm, and in fact, I hesitate to even call it a dormitory because it is so not what I went, not what I lived in when I was in college. How many know what I'm talking about? It doesn't look, I'm talking, it's like the best of the best and it's completely paid for already in cash. And the person who's paying for it is David Green, the owner of Hobby Lobby, who just saw the vision of Highlands College and said, hey, I want to invest in that. I'm going to build a multi-level, I'm talking 15 to $20 million building. I'm going to pay for all of the students so they can stay for free of charge. If you attend Highlands College, you don't have to pay for room and board. How many know, and in fact, if you know the story of David Green, you know that he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And I, I have been with him in services. Not, I don't know him. I don't want to convey that. But I've been in the room where he's taught several times. And he'll say, God has given me the ability to make money. And I make it in order to give it away. I just give it away. It's amazing, everybody. It's just amazing. So, so God is not against wealth. He's just for money management. And I'm going to teach you that today, how that works, because some people who are just eager for money, eager for wealth, they just want to get rich. It's very difficult for them to surrender if their motivation is wrong. And I'm going to show you that again in scripture today. Money management according to culture. Letter A, I want you to write this down. Money management, according to culture, begins with materialism. It begins with materialism. This is what I call the before. And and I'll show you how this all ties together in a second. Materialism is a sinful desire for more. More of what? More of that thing, whatever it is, that is often fed by greed, by selfishness, ingratitude, vanity, pride, and a lack of contentment, materialism. And we're seeing this in this nation like never before, materialism. Like never before, we're seeing this in this nation. And it is a desire for more of whatever is going to feed your pride or your vanity. It's a desire for more that becomes sinful because attached to it, are the wrong motives. Wrong motives are attached to it and it becomes sinful. It's materialistic. Again, God isn't isn't against you having nice things, but he is against misappropriating the resources, the provision that he gives you to feed your greed or to feed pride or to feed vanity or to feed a lack of contentment. How many know what I'm saying is true? It's materialism. I'm not hearing extremely a lot of amens today. It's the weirdest thing. It, because there's three groups of people that are in, in the room. There, there's a group of people that on the inside, you're like, Pastor Justin, preach it. I learned this years ago. And when I changed, when I changed my heart, when I, got allowed, when I allowed God to change my heart, when, when I gave up all of that stuff, I'm telling you, God's blessings will pour out. Pastor Justin, preach it. And there's another group of people that are like, yeah, I really struggle with this. 
Like, I, I do pretty good. You know, I give, but boy, I'm not really always doing good. And, and, I, and there's some tension there when it comes to money. And then there's another group of people that all, all, all morning this morning as I talk, you're just going to be pulling in your toes because I'm going to be stepping on your toes all morning. And no matter what stage, no matter what group you're in, can I tell you, we all need to hear this. We all need to hear this. That God's anointing is on this message just like it is on any other message because it's important to God. It's important to God. Can I tell you something, by the way? It's okay to amen the pastor. You say, I don't even know what amen means. It means so be it, so be it. So, so this is the misuse of the word amen. When a pastor is up there and is like, people are dying and going to hell. And somebody says, amen. I think that is bad timing right there. Like they're saying, so be it. Have anybody else, do, am I the only one that thinks those thoughts? Like, you know, yeah, you might want to think that through before you say it. But today you're going to have an amen kind of day. You know, cheer me on as, as I do this. Letter B, letter B, money management according to culture. Materialism often leads to let her be negligence. Negligence. And I say that, I, I could have put a lot of words in there. I, in, in times past, I would use the word foolishness, or I would have used uh, the word overspending, or, or something to that effect. But I chose the word negligence be, because it's more fitting. And I'm going to give you the de definition of what uh, being negligent is. It's, it's defined as being lazily careless. If you're negligent, you're just lazily careless. That it's, that it's offhand spending. It's spontaneous spending. That actually a better and prob probably the most accurate definition for negligence is failure to act properly or with wisdom. Negligence. So materialism oftentimes leads to negligence. Negligence is... If materialism is the before, negligence is actually the act. Let me say it like this. It's using God's resources or provision to fulfill the desires of the flesh instead of his purposes. It's using God's provision, God's resources to feed greed or pride or vanity or lack of contentment. It's, it's using God's resources inappropriately, without wisdom, spontaneously, or just being lazy and careless. Negligence. It's the act. And negligence often leads to, let us see, indebtedness. It's the after. It's the after. It's the condition of being in bondage to another that creates a relationship of servitude to a creditor. So debt often leads to stress, depression, relationship problems, and a lack of generosity. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because I've been in full-time ministry for close to 30 years now. Believe it or not, I know I don't look that old, but it's true. And I've talked with a lot of people, in fact, a lot of married couples, that money is tension in their marriage because they're not on the same page. You're not in unity concerning money and money management, and oftentimes debt accrues, and that creates stress, and it creates depression, it creates anxiety, like we're never going to get out of this, so it's hopelessness involved in that, and of course, relational problems and you cannot tell me you cannot tell me that that's God's plan for your life you cannot tell me that 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 it's God's plan for your life because the Bible says that if you are a borrower you are a slave to the lender you can't tell me that that's God's plan for your life you say well what do I do what pastor what do I do well we need to start managing money according to God's design, not according to culture, but according to God's design. So, now I, I want to say a couple of things uh, before I go further. I, I want you to know that there, when it, I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the overall idea, the overall truths found in the word of God. I understand, I understand that there's many in this room, in fact, some of us in this room, we have we, we understand about, about debt, about security, about assets. Uh, for instance, if, uh, so when I say this, I just want to be clear with you. Uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, according, uh, 
let, let me say it like this. According to culture's design, if you don't have any debt, you, you actually have a lower credit score. Did you know that? And so my wife and I, we, we had a very large chunk of, we just uh, uh, kind of downsized, significantly downsized because our, our kids are moving out of the house and we just went to a little, we call it our little baby house, everybody. It's just 1,500 square feet, three bedroom, two bath, one big open area for the kitchen and, and it's, just, it's just our little baby house. And it's nice, you come into it, it's very, very nice. My wife, she's great at decorating, all of that type of stuff. So you come into it, it's just our, our little baby house. And we didn't have enough cash to pay for, to pay in totality for that house. And we just wanted a five-year note. We just wanted a short note so we could pay it off really, really quickly. And the bank said, no, we can't do that. The only thing we can do is the shortest we can go is a 15-year note. We said, okay, we'll just do that and just pay it off you know, a lot more quickly. So we, we go there and we're looking at our credit score and we had a great credit score. It wasn't that it was bad, but it wasn't nearly as high as what I thought it was going to be. And I said, well, that's odd. I said, we don't really carry any debt. We use one credit card. We only have one credit card. And my wife is so disciplined because she takes care of, I take care of the church's budget. She takes care of our home budget. That's the way it works in our house. And uh, it, she is so disciplined that she pays off that credit card, not every month, not, not every two weeks, but every three or four days, she's making a payment on that credit card. So we use it a lot for online purchases, but she's always, always paying it off. So we never carry a balance on our credit card. And I look at the banker, I said, you know what? Our credit score should be way higher because we're great at money management. That she said, she, she actually said to us, I'm sorry, sir, you just don't have enough debt. You just don't have enough debt. Oh, okay, so in today's culture then, the more debt you have, the better money management you, manager you are, and we'll give you a higher credit score if you have more debt. And I looked at her and said, is that what you're saying? She said, exactly right. Well, sure enough, we, we got that loan for the house, and, and I, I got this email that said, oh, by the way, your credit score has gone up significantly <laughs> after I got into debt. Now, you tell me how that makes sense. But we have this system in today's culture that actually rewards debt. And that's not God's system. And I'm not saying that, again, I'm not saying that all debt is bad debt. I, I would rather you own a house than to rent a house. But we're not going to get into all of that stuff today. Everybody, does that make sense? We're just going to go over these general truths that we find in the word of God. And if you need help specifically in your area of money management, our church is filled with people who manage money like a boss. I mean that they are great at money management. We have people who teach uh, uh, classes about money management and Dave Ramsey's system and Financial Peace University. And we, we have financial managers here at, this, at our church that, that are just members here that would certainly just help you manage your money according to God's design, according to God's design. And so if you need help, just ask. That's what we're here for. And, and we'll connect you with people who are just incredible at money management. So let's talk about money management according to God, not according to culture, but according to God. Number one, financial decisions are actually spiritual decisions. Can I, can I tell you that $7 Starbucks that you have to purchase every day of the week, that is a spiritual decision. And you don't know it. You don't, you don't understand it. Oftentimes people don't understand it. That it is a spiritual decision. You say, Pastor, how can coffee be a spiritual decision? How, how can going to Starbucks be a spiritual decision? Let, let me ask you a question. If you do the math on that, and you buy that coffee every day of the month, and then you, you times that throughout how many days of the year there are, how much are you spending a year in that coffee? And let me ask you a question. Most, let, let me say it like this. Most Christians want to live, in fact, the vast majority of Christians, the poll was like over 98%, want to be generous. They long to be generous. 75% of Christians are living paycheck to paycheck and cannot afford to be generous. And that thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a year you spend on that coffee, that's a spiritual decision. Because I have seen people asking for help. This is I'm just gonna tell you some, some true stories here. I have seen people come in and ask for benevolence. 
And we say, Pastor, I can't pay the bills. I can't pay the bills. Okay. Well, hey, what, what can we do to help? And we help them. We help. There, there's a system that we have in place. They have to apply. There's an application they fill out, and, and we go through, and we manage that really, really well. We try our very best. I'll tell you, one of the most difficult things that I struggle with is, is determining who gets benevolence and who doesn't. Because you know as well as I do that a lot of people just abuse the system. It's all about the system. I'm going to get as much from, and I'll tell any lie. I had a woman sitting in my office one time in tears. I have stage four cancer, and I'm going to die in six months, and all I need is this amount of money. And my heart was broken. I'm like, okay, here. Well, like two years later, I see her walking downtown as if nothing's wrong. And I thought, I don't think you have cancer after all, did you? You know? Like, and come to find out, I brought it up to some other people like, oh yeah, she tells that story everywhere she goes. Oh, see, see, it, I'm telling you, one of, the, it's the, one of the hardest things I have to face is, is determining who to help and who not to help. There's some people that we've helped and they, they were like, we're about to be evicted and blah, 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 blah. And then one, one time my wife and I were eating <laughs> Eating out, we were having lunch together. This is several years ago now. We were having lunch together. And, and, and they come in, the same person comes in. They, they have no idea that we're there. And we were at Mancino's. Again, this is years ago. We were at Mancino's. And they come in and they walk out with like four huge pizzas. And I thought, oh, that's where your money goes. Because, you know, I'm not against buying pizza, but how many know if you don't have enough money, you probably should be going to Little Caesars and not Mancino's. How many know what I'm talking about right there, right? Is that, is that, too, is that too transparent for you guys? Is that all right? And, and so uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, everybody, your financial decisions are actually spiritual decisions. Your financial decisions are actually, they are actually helping you make godly decisions and being generous in your life are actually restricting you from the, living the life that God actually wants you to live. Well, I, I didn't hear any amens on that. <laughs> Amen, Justin. You're doing great. You keep going, Justin. You're doing great, man. You keep going. All right, I will. Thank you, I will. Um, every financial decision is a spiritual decision. I'm telling you, it's the truth. It's the truth. Number two, you've got to know your purpose. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? And I don't, I don't mean necessarily even your, your specific purpose. I'm just talking about the, the, the overall, overarching purpose of your life. What is it? What's the overall purpose of your life? Let me, let me read this to you from the book of Acts. Here's, here, here's a purpose that I want to show you. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That everything else that everybody else is pursuing, can I tell you, it doesn't mean nearly as much as it does to actually just testify about the Lord Jesus Christ and complete the race to finish the race that he's called me to. That my purpose, my purpose in life is to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. The, the purpose of my life is to make Jesus famous it's not to make me famous. The purpose of my life is to make Jesus look good, not me look good. The purpose of my life is so that people would be attracted to Jesus, not attracted to me. I know it's tough to hear, but it's true, right? Because how many times have we made decisions so that we could be attractive to others, so that we could impress others, instead of living our lives so that people would be impressed with the Lord Jesus Christ and be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've just made a decision in my life. All fame, all glory, all honor to my Savior. That's how I'm choosing to live life. I'm just living, I tell you this, I say it like this all the time. My life's goal is just to point people to Jesus. It's just what I do. I just point people to Jesus. 
And Jennifer and I determined a long time ago, we use money to point people to Jesus, that every dollar that comes through our hands, it has a purpose in it. And the purpose of it is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Every dollar. Number three, financial decisions are are actually spiritual decisions. You've got to know your purpose and you've got to learn contentment. You have to learn contentment. And we see this in Philippians when Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He says, I know what it is. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've seen both sides of the coin. I've experienced both sides of the coin. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. He's saying, what he's saying is, hey, hey listen, I've, I've lived on both sides of the coin. I've had plenty, I've had more than enough, and I've, and I've lived at times where I didn't have enough. And I learned that no matter what moment of my life I'm in, I'm learned that, I learned that Jesus is the source and the strength and the hope of my life. And everything that I have, all that I am, relies solely upon the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as long as I have him, I'm fine. Okay, can I tell you something? I, I say this often, and it's the truth, that if God does nothing else for Justin Chambers if he does nothing else for me or my family, and his blessings have been upon our life, no doubt, but if he does, if he does nothing else, I serve a God who loved me so much that he gave his one and only begotten son that, that when I believed in him, I was guaranteed eternal life. I have been saved by grace through faith, and I am content in that. If he doesn't do anything for me, anymore for the rest of my life. My eternity is sealed in Christ. Ooh, that's good stuff. I've just learned to be content. Just learn to be content. Learn to be content. My wife and I, we often say anything that we have, even our house, it's just a house. Can I tell you, it's just drywall and doors and carpet. It's just a house. And if God said, Justin, I want you to give up your house. I would say, yes, sir. You just lead and I'll follow. And I'm being honest when I say that. And can I tell you something? My wife and I have done that. You've got to know your purpose and you've got to be content. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you this illustration. I, I've, I've said this in years and years ago. Most of you wouldn't know it, but I'll give you a little bit more details now just considering how long of time has passed. That when the Lord called my wife and I to, to start New Song Church here in Plymouth, and that's a, a story within itself. I was on staff at a larger church in, in Milwaukee. I was the music minister there. And, um, and the senior pastor, uh, uh, he just loved me. And, and, and he had this, I shouldn't say it like this, but I was seeing a lot of success in that, in that church. In, in the ministries that I was overseeing, they were just thriving. They were doing great. And he didn't want to lose me as a staff pastor. He just didn't want to lose me. And I, I went to him. I said, I, I called him my name. And I said, you know what? My wife and I, we've been called to start a church. And I'm telling you this because in a couple of months, we're going to be moving back to Indiana. We're going to, we're going to start this church that the Lord has just called us to do. And I said, over the next couple of months, if you want me to help make the transition for the, the new person to come in, and, and for me to train them or for me to help, help with that process, that transition, I, I'm telling you a little bit earlier because I want to be a part of just a healthy transition. And I'll tell you, he used, he used every, everything in the book to try to get me to stay. To, to the point of saying, he's saying, do you know how much of a pay cut you're going to take if you go and take that church? If you go and start that church, do you know? And what if it doesn't succeed? Justin, you have a family to provide for. You have a couple of kids. You want more kids. You, you can't afford, he was saying, you can't afford to leave this church. It's like, you've got to provide for your family. You've got to stay here. You've got to stay at this church. And he used money as the means to convince me to stay. Because he knew I was going to take a significant cut and pay, and we did. And I went home. That happened late in the morning, one morning. And I, I went home for lunch. And I, I told him very, very softly, I, I said, Pastor, we've been called. 
and I've got to go. Even, even the day that I resigned, can I fast forward a little bit and then we'll backtrack? Even the day that I resigned, he met me first thing in that morning, on that Sunday morning when I was going to resign publicly. He, he met me that Sunday morning. He said, now, now Justin, um, he said, I'm going to look at you at the end of the service. And if you choose to say, all you have to do is shake your head no. And that tells me that you're not going, that you're going to stay. And he, he gave at the end of the service, he gave me the look. And of course, I, I stood completely still, still. And he said, Pastor Justin has something to say this morning. And I got up there and I resigned. But now, backtrack a little bit. The day that he said, how are you going to provide for your family? How how do you know that the Lord is going to provide what you needed? You're going to take a pay cut if you go and do this. And you've got responsibilities. And and I I went to lunch. And within an hour, I, I told my wife, I said, babe, even if I... Even if this thing to go plant a church in Plymouth, Indiana falls through, I still cannot work for this man. I cannot do it. Because today, he put money ahead of purpose. And I cannot work for a man like that. Now, I, I've never told you that hard of the story, but, but now uh, it's, it's been almost 20 years and I can do it now. So there you have it. Statute of limitations, it's off. So... Number four, you've got to be wise. You've got to be wise. We have to be wise. We can't be negligent. We, we can't be lazily careless. We cannot be spontaneous. We have to be wise. Proverbs 6, 6. Just a couple of examples. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. What, what does wisdom consist of? Well, he tells us. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Like nobody's the boss telling him what to do. Yet the ant stores its provisions in, summers, in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Like, so what he's saying is, you've got to be wise. You've got to work hard. Right? How many know that we need, that this up and coming generation, they need to know how to work hard. They just got, we, we've got to teach our children and our grandchildren how to work hard. Like if you're going to say that you're going to be there at eight o'clock, you need to be there at eight o'clock. You know what I tell people all the time? Well, I'm, they're like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting along at work. I, I, I tell them, here's the secret to getting along with all of your employees. Show up on time, do the work, keep your mouth shut. There you go. And you'll stay out of the drama and your, your boss, your employer, he's going to love you. She's going to love you. Why? Because you show up, you're dependable, you're a hard worker, and you're not attached to all of the drama. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, hey, there's a leader right there. There's a leader right there. And I'm telling you, you'll, you'll get promotions. If you, it, half of it is just staying out of the drama. How many know what I'm talking about? It's true. You just got to stay out of the drama. You got to stay out of the drama. Well, you got to consider the ways of the end. You got to work hard and you got to plan ahead. So definitely plan ahead. Jennifer and I, we, we've had plans for a long, long time now that we... We, we're planning ahead. We're planning ahead. The Bible says, in fact, it's wise not only to be able to give an inheritance to your children, but to your children's children. Like, it's good to save up, everybody. It's great to save up. But yet, 75% of Christians are living paycheck to paycheck. It's hard to save up when you're living like that, right? Something's got something's to give. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father actually knows that you need them. So if you say, well, well, well how, how is God going to provide? What, what's God going to do? How is he going to bring it to us? The, the Bible says that God knows exactly what you need before you even do. And he already has a plan. So, so Jennifer and I, let's fast forward a little bit. Jennifer and I moved to, to Plymouth to start New Song. We took a huge cut in pay. In fact, there were some people in, in Indianapolis, um, the Siblings of God had just kind of helped fund us for a little while. And they said, hey, for about six months, we're, we're going we're gonna to offset your budget. That way you can just be full time. But at the end of six months, we're going to pull that funding away. We said, okay, well, hey, we're, we're taking a step of faith. Well, six months comes and I, I get a phone call one week and they just said, uh, the, the funding stops now. Like as of today, you're not going to get any more money from us. Well, at that point, if we would have not met budget. And in, in, in fact, the church was so small that I, I looked at my wife and said, baby, I, I've got to go out and get a job. 
I've got to be a bivocational pastor. Yet the idea of leaving, of leaving New Song, of leaving you and leaving Plymouth, never entered into our mind because we knew the purpose of our life. So it wasn't about leaving. It was about, oh, I've, I've got I've to secure food and, and, and housing and clothing for my family. So I've, I just got to go out and get another job. I didn't know what I was going to do. Well, we, we, we said, Jennifer asked me a question. She said, well, what does the budget need to be? every week at New Song for us to be paid full-time. Now, by full-time, I mean, we weren't making very much, but, but because years earlier, God said, if you don't become debt-free, I cannot use you in the way that I want to use you. God spoke that to me one day. And I went to my wife. This is within the first year of our marriage. I went to my wife. I said, babe, we've got to be debt-free. The Lord just told me, if we're not debt-free, that we cannot be used the way that God wants to use us. Then fast forward, and here it comes we're starting a church, and we're not getting paid very much, but thankfully, we had, we had gotten out of debt, and God had given us the resources, the creativity to get out of debt, and all of a sudden, we are looking at being bi- bivocational because the church just, there wasn't enough tithes and offerings coming in to support even our very small salary. And we calculated, well, what needs to come in every week? for me not to have to go and get a job where I can just focus on, on the church. And, and we came up with that number, and I don't remember what the number was, but it wasn't much. And we'd never met that number before. And I said, well, let's see what the Lord does. And we just prayed about it. We said, God, you called us to do this. And, and I know you're either going to supply tithes and offerings, or you're going to give me the perfect placement in a job in the area that I can make a difference, not only here at the church, but wherever you call me to work in this community. And that, that next Sunday, we made budget. I said, well, well, hey, praise God. And the Sunday after that, we made budget. And the Sunday after that, we made budget. We did what we'd never done before. And from that moment on, we just started making budget every week. Now, there was not any new families that came during that time. God just, just put it on the hearts. And I, we didn't, Jennifer and I, we told nobody what we were dealing with. We didn't tell a soul because we didn't want to put any pressure on them. We didn't want to think that, hey guys, we're, we're about to go get it. And if you love me, you're going to give money because God called us here and you need to give more. We, we just have refused to be that type of people. If you know us, if you know us, we just let giving be an act of worship. We never put guilt on you for giving or not giving. We just give you an opportunity to worship God the way he called us to worship God. If you've noticed, we take very few special offerings around here. Very few. Why? Because we just want you to give the way that God wants you to give. And with a heart of generosity, with a heart of gratitude, we, do, we never want you to give out of guilt. So that's, been, that's just been our heart. And we've always stuck to that. And God just supernaturally provided. He just supernaturally provided. And I'm telling you, we had to come to the understanding that New Song was not our provider. Can I tell you something? Wherever you work, you might think, well, they're my provider. No, they are not. All of your provision, all of the resources comes from God. Comes from God. And you've got to transfer ownership of everything that you own to God. Everything that I have is his. It all belongs to him. If he wants my house, he can have it. If he wants my car, he can have it. He, he, he can have anything, whatever he wants. I'm just ready to give it at any time because it's his anyway. I'm just a manager of his resources. That's all I am. And yet God, as, as we operate in wisdom, as we operate in faith, he, I'm telling you, he just does the miraculous. Number five, I've got to focus on that which is eternal. I've got to focus on that which is eternal. I, we, we're not... So, so many times we focus on things that are just temporary. I'd be happy. I'd be really happy if I had that outfit. I'd be really happy if I owned that. If I could go there. If we could vacation here, I'd be really happy. I've, I've always wanted. Can I, t- can I tell you something? That's, that's not the attitude that the Bible teaches. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. 
We have to make, we have to have a focus that is eternal. That I'm not here to make a worldly difference. I'm here to make an eternal difference. And when you have an eternal focus in your life, you'll start managing money differently than you ever have before. You'll do whatever it takes to be able to give the way that God wants you to give. In fact, everybody write this down, that we've got to make giving the goal of our life. We've got to make giving the goal of our life. And I'm not talking about just treasure. I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about every aspect of your life that we live our lives with the goal of being generous, of giving. Let me say it a different way. Maybe you've heard this said before in the past. I don't know who said it. It just came to me this this past week as I was preparing for this moment that you can certainly give without love. It's easy to do. But you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Let me show you this in scripture. 2 Corinthians verse 9, I'm sorry, chapter 9 verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your, of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now I'm going to read a part of that again. I want, I want this to, to, to sink into you. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And how does that work? That God supplies seed to the sower. That's how that works. That God supplies seed to the sower. Can I tell you something? The anointing of the Holy Spirit is on this sermon and this topic. And when I tell you that God provides seed to the sower, that is an anointed statement because it's found in the word of God. I didn't write that. I, I cannot create truth. You cannot create truth. God is truth. All truth is God's truth. This is true. That when you determine in your heart that you are going to be a sower, that you are going to be a giver, that you're going to give towards that which is eternal, God says, if that's your mindset, I know you'll be faithful and I'm going to enrich you in every way. Not that you can be selfish, not that you can be greedy. I'm going to enrich you in every way so that you can give and then give some more so that you can give and give some more. See, there, there are a lot of people maybe in this room watching online right now that God has given you the gift of being an entrepreneur, that God has, that God has given you the gift of knowing how to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as the goal of your heart is to live a generous eternally focused life. And God says, when, when, you, when you start sowing seeds into the eternal, he'll bless you more and more and more. And I am living proof of that. Can I tell you some, something else? This church is living proof of that. Every single year, we give more admissions than we've ever given the year before. It's always increasing, always increasing. Why? The more that comes in, the more that we're able to give away. The more that comes in, we just keep giving it away. We just keep blessing people locally, nationally, internationally. And we balance that. We try to balance that. We're, we're giving a portion of it locally, a portion of it nationally, a portion of it internationally. So, so just a few weeks ago, in fact, a couple months ago, this is just an example. I, I, I called up the council, and I, or I emailed them. I said, hey, guys, or maybe we were in a meeting. I don't remember. I think we might have been in a meeting. And I, I told them, hey, guys, we're, we're giving a lot locally. We're giving a lot internationally, but we're not giving as much nationally as I think we should, as we should give. And we took $10,000, and we just gave it to a church planning organization right here in the nation because we wanted to be balanced in that. How cool is that, that we gave away $10,000 to planting churches here in America and never asked for an offering? Yeah. 
How cool is that, everybody? Because I'm telling you, when God, when God provides, we just keep giving. And when God gives more, we just give more because God gives seed to the sower. God gives seed to the sower. That's how it works. Acts 20, verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that this, by this kind of hard work, we must, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Like if you want to live your, if you want to live the greatest life you can live, it'll be a life of generosity. That giving should never be a burden to you. It should be a joy. I'm going to say it again. That giving should never be a burden to you. It should be a joy. In fact, one of the greatest joys of your life and your level of surrender will determine the greatness of your life. As for me, as for my family, we have decided to be faithful and not only tithes, 10% of what goes in, it immediately goes to God, first fruits. It, and it's the first thing that we do in our house. It's immediately, no questions asked. It's just 10% straight to God. And by the way, it's not just that. We give above and beyond that. We give in offerings too. And we've taught our kids to do the same. All of our children who have jobs, all the, the oldest three, all of them are faithful in both tithes and offerings. And I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them. They're faithful in it. Every year when, when we do our taxes, we purposely show our children how much money we made and how much we gave away. And we celebrate it. Isn't that great, guys? Look, look what we got to give away. That's pretty cool. I'm telling you, there's great joy in it. I'm just teaching my children to be givers. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not bragging to them. I'm instructing them. And I'm telling them that dad not, only, dad not only preaches it, he actually practices it. He actually lives it out. And there's great joy in it. And if you say, Pastor, I want to I be generous. I just don't have enough money. And if you live life like that, you'll never have enough money. Why? How do I know? Because he gives seed to the sower. Can I tell you something? That God is waiting for you to be faithful. He's waiting for you to be faithful in the small things. He said this, not me. He's waiting for you to be faithful in the small things so that he can put you in charge over much. Can I tell you, we're, we're faithful in giving here at New Song. And God continues to give us more. He's enriching us, not to hoard it, but to be a blessing. We just keep sowing. And God keeps providing the seed. And you have to take a step of faith. To say, Pastor, I really, I just don't know that I have enough money. Well, you need to, if it's really stirring in your heart, contact us and say, I just need help managing my budget. Because some of you have never been taught on how to manage a budget and you just need to learn. And we're here, we're here to help. I have many people I can connect you with and they'll keep everything that you do, everything that you talk about in confidence and they'll just help you to manage your budget. But the first thing they'll tell you is you need to give in tithes and offerings. It's the first thing that they're going to tell you to do. Why? Because you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. If you don't, you're actually restricting the blessings of God upon your life. You're restricting it. And that's not the life that God wants you to live. Live with a heart. Let me say it this way. Live the way that you really want to live life. You already want to live a generous life. If I would have said, who wants to be generous in here? All of us would say, I do. Okay, okay, okay. I hear you. But maybe you just need some help with wisdom. And we're here for you. The Bible says we encourage each other. We build each other up in the faith and we're there for each other. We, we, we connect like that to help each other as iron sharpens iron, right? So we're here. All you have to do is ask. Well, pastor, it's pretty humbling. 
correct me if I'm wrong, but pride is never honored by God. But humility always is. Come on, everybody. That's a, that's a good amen point right there. Amen. You receive the word of the Lord today. I'm trying to help you do what you already want to do. Do you see that? I'm trying to help you do whatever, what you already desire to do, to live a generous life. But there's some things that we got to stop. We got to stop managing money the way that the world manages money. And we got to manage money the way that God manages money. Stand up with me. Would you do that? Your level of surrender will determine the greatness of your life. You have to transfer ownership. You got to get to the point where God not only owns, but he manages everything that you have, that God is your CFO, that he's your chief financial officer. And if you live life like that, I'm telling you, the blessings of the Lord will be upon you. Not that you can be greedy, but that you can be generous for the glory of his name. Let's open our hands toward heaven. Heavenly Father, we receive your word today. Change us. Change our hearts. Help us. Give us wisdom. Give us not only the desire, but the discipline to live life the way that you've called us to live life for the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. And I bless my new song family with wisdom. I bless them with your favor. I bless them with an outpouring of every good and perfect thing that you have for their lives. I bless them with cheerful and generous hearts. Lord, I bless them with the faith to be sowers knowing that you'll give them even more seed to sow. In the name of Jesus, I declare it. And if you receive that blessing, say amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great day, you guys. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life. And we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.